Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. All right, how are we doing, CC, at the 9 a.m. today? Real quick, I want to share two things with you, and I'm going to dive in, and this is going to be um, too brief, probably, for what it um, really demands, but um, you're going to get more information. And the first thing is, uh, pretty exciting development. In January, we were planning, and we've been prepping and praying for months to launch a fourth service, and we're not going to do that. Um, And the reason is because when we uh, realized that we were going to continue to look and need more space, that was the best option in front of us. So we prayed um, and we planned because that's what we have the responsibility to do um, as leaders. And all the while, uh, praying and asking God to open up a better door. And um, we believe that God has done that um, in a pretty incredible way. And so in January, we're going to tell you what that is. And so all I want you to know is on December 30th, we are not having church in the house. That's our Sabbath Sunday. And we're saying a huge thank you to every single bridge builder that serves week in and week out um, for all their incredible sacrifice. And then we're going to be back on January 2nd. And uh, that is an historic Sunday for our church. You need to be here. You need to bring somebody. And uh, we can't wait to tell you about how God is leading us. And the whole time, um, we wanted to be a Jesus church. And so we can plan things. We can have ideas. If Jesus calls an audible, we're going with his audible every single time. And so some of you, if you haven't been a part of a growing church, um, everything gets, you just get to stay the same. Nothing ever changes. Um, When God's doing something, things change. And so we're thankful for the changes that he continues to bring. And uh, January 6th, we're going to tell you about it. So be here on that Sunday, all right? Um, All right. We also, uh, next weekend is Christmas Eve, and so we just want to encourage you, as you go out today, you're going to get another one of these invites. These things are still available. Um, You give somebody a free cup of coffee, read the instructions on there. Um, As I said, don't be shady and create aliases. Jesus does see you, not just Santa Claus, Jesus sees you. Um, Grab one of these. Oh, there's also an invite by your chair that you can grab today. And as we say all the time, 30 seconds of courage to just invite somebody to come with you. And um, we're a church that's all about the the one. Um, Jesus has this incredible story where he talks about Uh, the shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one sheep. And not that the 99 don't matter, but one of the ways that we grow and flourish in our faith is to not make our lives about us. It is to make it about other people. And we are a church for the city. And this is an incredible time where we get to share the hope and the rescue and the salvation found in Jesus. And so uh, we're not coming to just eat Christmas cookies and gather around a tree and um, listen to Frank Sinatra. All those things are amazing. Um, This is a season that is about Jesus. I think sometimes we just have to remind ourselves of that. And we are here to lift up and herald his name and lead other people to discover the hope that many of us have discovered. And here's what I wanna do before I dive in. 
Um, if you are serving at any one of our eight services over next weekend, I want you to stand real quick because I want to honor our heroes in the house um, that are going to be bridges to many people coming to know Jesus. Stand up, stand up proud, stand up tall. Don't slouch. I want you to stand because I want to pray over you for a second. Stand with me. And I want to honor what God is about to do through you. And I want to thank you for your sacrifice, some of you multiple services. I want to encourage others of you today, if you're a Jesus follower and you're part of our gathering, um, you need to be serving somewhere. And so grab a card, um, fill it out. There's one right in front of you and say, hey, even if it's for this weekend, I'm going to step in. I'm going to serve um, kids. I'm going to help with the several thousand people are coming through here uh, because God's about to do something. Do you believe that? Let me pray over you right now. Jesus, I thank you for these individuals who put themselves on the front lines to declare, not with their words, we're so good at that, not with a song, we're so good at that, but with their lives to say, we are going to serve, we are going to figuratively wash the feet of other people, we are going to build bridges from where they are to where Jesus wants to lead them. And for many of them, even right now, other than standing in this room, nobody's ever going to notice them on the outside. In some cases, nobody's going to see fully the value that they are contributing and all that Jesus is doing through them. But you know, and many of us know, and Lord, I pray for strength for them. I pray for encouragement for them. I pray for the many who are gonna serve over eight services in two days that you would move through them in an extraordinary way. And we pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could even ask, think, or imagine. And we pray that those who have been away would have their hearts stirred to begin to follow Jesus again. And we pray that many for the first time would have their eyes open to the fact that you are who you say you are and Jesus is offering salvation and reconciliation and they would receive it and their lives would never be the same again. And so God, use us, move through us and we pray all of this in the powerful, saving name of Jesus, amen. Give it up for these people one more time, would you? Now, last thing, go to christmaseveandbrandon.org. Um, we've had a ton of people more than ever before even pre-register, um, so we could kind of know where people are heading. The 9 a.m. Is, is already looking really, really full next weekend, and so if you're here and one of the ways you want to serve is to go to another service, uh, that would really be helpful. Um, the 3 p.m. on December 24th is also filling up very, very fast, so if you can go to another, if your friends are going to that service, that's great, but if you can help us out to go to one of the services that's a non-optimal time, that'll really help us next weekend. So um, with that said, I want to pray one more time. Um, so would you stand with me? And I want to pray specifically for what God's about to do as we uh, move into part three of this series, Ghosts of Christmas Past. And um, we came today to meet and hear from Jesus. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you are doing in this house and what you're about to do through your body today. I thank you that we get a chance to be a part of it. I thank you that you know what we are dragging in here today. You know what we're struggling with. You know maybe the thoughts that are haunting our minds. Lord, you know that we, what we have not been able to break free of. You know where we are struggling. You know where we are doubting. And Lord, not by accident, you have decided to meet us here today. And you want to speak, you want to transform, you want to move. And so my desire and goal for me and for us is to get out of the way and to allow you to do right now what you want to do. 
And so I just pray that you would, in a very almost tangible and personal way, you would meet us right where we are right now. And I ask that you would move in an incredible way in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we've been talking about for a couple weeks is um, this season is um, amazing in a lot of ways. Like even this weekend, some really cool stuff happened. And uh, there's a lot to enjoy. I have three little toddlers, and it's fun um, when one of them isn't getting their head stuck in a banister on our stairwell um, on Tuesday, or um, you know when our cat's not pulling our Christmas tree over. Um, true story. Where like, but there's a lot of cool stuff. But one of the things we've said throughout this series is this season where everything is supposed to be right. Like it's the most wonderful time of the year, can actually be a reminder of everything that's not right. Like the season that um, is so incredible can actually highlight what's not right, whether it's a relationship thing, whether it's maybe a struggle that you've been carrying, whether it's an unreconciled you know, issue with um, a kid, or, or maybe it's the tension of a, a split home and juggling kids back and forth. And there are so many things that are incredible. And we even said this in the series that simultaneously, we kind of tend to live in dual seasons where things can be amazing over here. Like we're celebrating this. This is great. This is so good. And simultaneously, they suck over here. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, even this weekend, um, like it's just one of those weekends of just this, this crazy juxtaposition where like I'm celebrating with our, our worship team on Friday night and just having fun with good friends and laughing hard. And um, then yesterday taking my mom to the hospital where she's at right now. And um, we think she's gonna be okay, but a lot of um, just doubt and prayers and you know wondering how this Christmas is gonna go for us. And um, even this week praying for an 18 month old girl who's fighting for her life and I'm getting word of a, a friend who lost his dad last night. And, and in some ways, that's my world that I live in. And, and there's certain points and seasons, though, where it's, it's even highlighted to a greater degree. And it's just this weird, there is so much that is good. And simultaneously, there's these areas where it's, it's anything but good. And for some of you, like that, that's the season. And, and part of what I've wanted to do is just acknowledge that this, some of the ghosts that you're carrying in this season are are the ghosts of, of what you wish were different. It's not just about the things that you've done in the past or the decisions you've made, but some of the ghosts for a lot of us are just the disappointments we feel. Like the things that we wish were different, but we really can't change them. Or maybe the things that we, we look at and, and it's around the decisions that have been done to us that affect us, that, uh, that create some stuff around us, some tension that, that we didn't go looking for, but here we are. And here's the thing that when we get into that place where we're carrying those kind of ghosts or we're haunted by those kind of things is we always want to ask the question, and I don't care, I mean, maybe you're the exception, so, but I don't care how long you follow Jesus. I know this is true if you don't believe in Jesus, but I think this is where all of us come together is at some level when you start to feel the haunting reminders of it shouldn't be this way, it should be different, I didn't create this, why is this happening? Like you want to have some kind of explanation and some kind of purpose for what you're feeling. Like, isn't there those moments where stuff happens out of nowhere, whether it's the, the marriage that's coming to an end and you've done everything you could do. 
or it's a thing where your kids are, are walking away and you haven't been perfect, but you felt like you've tried everything that you could try or, or you get the diagnosis or, or you're on the way to the hospital and, and there's something in you that goes like, I, okay, God, what are you doing in this? God, where are you at in this? God, what, what are you orchestrating in this? And here's what I would tell you. And I, if you ever follow Jesus, I think this is true, is that, that that desire that is inside of you is actually the thumbprint of your heavenly father on you. Like, I think sometimes we shy a, a lot. We shy away from the why. We shy away from the questions. We shy away from wanting some kind of explanation. But here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you serve a God, a God who is orderly, a God who creates order out of chaos, a God that is observable. He is explainable. He is knowable. Like even the modern science movement at some level was started in part by Christians who believe that God was observable and explainable and knowable. We serve that kind of God. He is not a God of chaos. And so I think every time that you ask why and every time you wonder and every time you look at your circumstance and, and you've got questions, I think that's the image of God on you. Because you were created to want to know the answers to those questions. And here's the thing I know for a lot of us is the disappointment or the dysfunction that we are haunted by that maybe we're carrying right now in this season, it's led you to one of two places. It's led you to that place to go, God, I don't understand this, but I, I, you are knowable, you are explainable, you've revealed yourself, and so I'm gonna trust you. And it's actually been the disappointment and the dysfunction that has led you to deeper faith. But then for others of us, the same dysfunction and the same disappointment has led us to doubt. And here's, here's what I want you to know, and, and maybe you've heard this before, but I'm not big on the romanticizing of the scripture. Um, I try to tear away as much of that stuff as I can. And when you, when you get to the Christmas story, the story really is, not because I'm trying to fit this into a message, the story really is a story of dysfunction and doubt, and what God does out of that. And you know, if you've got a Bible in Luke chapter one, um, Luke is the guy that is incredibly brilliant. He's a physician, first century, and he sits down, he carefully interviews eyewitnesses and documents the accounts, and then puts down this crazy detail. And he introduces this, this tension of doubt and dysfunction that is at the epicenter of the Christmas story. And here's what he says in Luke 1, verse 26, which is where I wanna pick up. And it's gonna be on the screen. It's gonna be on the CC app. I'd love for you to see it. Um, or if you've got a physical Bible, that would be amazing. Mark that thing up. And here's what Luke says. In the sixth month, which is, that's crazy detail. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee. In verse 27, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And then, because my head always goes here, imagine what hung in the balance of this next phrase. And imagine everything that she didn't know and wasn't aware of. And the virgin's name, and I know if you're new to the church, thing's so weird, I should take more time to unpack this, but I'm not going to. The virgin's name was Mary. And just think about everything she didn't know. Just think about all the cathedrals that are gonna be built and the buildings that are gonna be erected and the people that are gonna give their lives all over the globe, those who are going to 
offer everything to even translate this story, everything that is gonna happen from this one moment and this one pronouncement, and she has no idea. And she's just like this, as you've heard, teenage girl, and she's in an arranged marriage, so she's told who to marry, and she's told where to live, and she's told how it's gonna go down. And her hope and big dream for her life is she's going to hopefully have a child. That was the pursuit. I mean, that's what, that's what you wanted if you were in Mary's position. And, and maybe if she's super lucky, she's gonna have a grandkid and nobody's gonna know her name and she's gonna die and that's gonna be a life well lived. And God had a completely different plan because she is about to be handed dysfunction that she didn't ask for. And I know you don't look at it that way because it's a romanticized story and you know the end of it and you saw it on flannel graph. You grew up in Sunday school. Others of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, you've heard songs about it and it's airbrushed and it's beautiful and, and usually there's zero historical context and Jesus has blue eyes and um, very light skinned. But I I'm telling you, in this moment, um, Mary's about to be handed dysfunction that she did not ask for. And she is a pregnant TJ, teenage girl with, come on, no viable explanation. How'd that go down? Is the Holy Spirit, uh-uh, not buying it. Like she's gotta explain this to parents and to friends who do not know the story. And there she is, handed dysfunction. And in another part of the story, it talks about Joseph finding this out and he begins to think quietly how he can put her away which kind of sounds like he's a mob boss or something. He's not talking about like he's gonna quietly put her away like in the trunk of the back of a camel caravan, but like he's gonna need to divorce her and just somehow, you know, do it, you know, unceremoniously. But, but there she is, man, and she is at a dead end as a teenage girl out of wedlock with no viable explanation. And there Joseph is at a dead end having a marriage that he thought was at the brink. I mean, they'd already reserved the, the hotel and everything was ready to go. And now it's not gonna happen for him. And in verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings. And this is important. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words, which is kind of crazy because like the angel didn't say anything yet. He just said, you're highly favored, and she's terrified. And I think part of it is, number one, I say this all the time, but if an angel shows up, you are gonna be terrified. Talk about romanticized view. You're not gonna, you know, it's not gonna be a cuddly experience. You will probably wet your pants. Like, it's gonna be a little bit terrifying. And she didn't know what, like, her thought is, what kind of angel is this? Like, I heard Satan was an angel at one time. Like, what's he coming to do? What it, what's this going to be about? What is he going to give me? And so she's greatly troubled. And she wonders what kind of greeting this might be. And then verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found, and this is really important, you have found favor with God. Because what Mary is about to experience, not just in the next months, but in the next couple of years, it's gonna seem anything but she's favored by God. It's gonna seem anything but God's hand of favor is on her life. In fact, none of her circumstances are gonna match up with that declaration. And he says, you're highly favored. And then there's such certainty in Luke's words. And you will be with child and you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And again, I know like 
just step back from the story for a second. She doesn't know what you know, and she's going, are you, no, 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 it cannot be this way. I'm not, I'm not pregnant. We haven't done anything crazy. There wasn't anything funny going on in the back of the camel caravan. I've tried to be pure. I've tried to be set apart. I've tried to be holy. I, like, I know what the, the ramifications of this could be. Like, this, this, this cannot be happening. But you're, you're going to be pregnant with child, and, and I know you're confused. And I know you're afraid. And I know we don't think this of her very often. I know you're doubting. But, but I'm, I'm doing something. And he's going to be great. And he's going to be called the son of the most high. And the Lord's going to give him the throne of his father, David, in verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will, what? Never end. Seriously? Israel hasn't been an independent nation at this point for 500 years. Israel's at a dead end. And it's been 500 years of people walking into a temple and walking out, and it has done nothing about their guilt. It has done nothing about their shame. It has done nothing about the treadmill of behavior that they can't get off of. But it's this ceremonial thing where we got to try to make things right. We're bringing another bull and we're bringing another goat, and that can appease something ceremonially, but can it, it cannot do anything to my heart. It cannot do anything to my conscience. It cannot do anything to my mind, and they are on a multi-generational treadmill of religious activity that is leading them nowhere, and every Jewish person was waiting for the reestablishment of Israel, and now 500 years have gone by of no independent nation, and you're saying that I, I have somebody whose kingdom in Israel is going to last forever when it looks like nothing but a dead end for Israel and a dead end for me and a, a dead end for Joseph who's going I got to try to put her away quietly because Joseph, just to skip to him for a second, he's in a place right now where he's looking at the immediate facts, the immediate circumstantial evidence of, okay, this is the only thing I know to do. This is the only thing that I know to have in mind. But what you oftentimes have in mind is not what God has in store when things don't add up and you don't understand what's happening. But you just have to know, if you didn't know the end of the story, Mary is at a dead end. Mary is doubting a little bit how legit this is. Joseph, is at a dead end. Israel is at a dead end. And this is part of what I came to just ask you today. And I already know the answer to the question is, do some of you feel like you are at a dead end? And here's what I mean. You have been, this isn't what somebody else did or what you did or a decision that you made. Some of you are in a place where you have been handed the dysfunction. You, you've been handed the disappointment. You've been in a relationship where you have tried to do everything that you could possibly do to love them unconditionally. And here you are handling the ramifications of their bad decisions that you didn't create and you're at a dead end. Some of you are at a dead end with your kids where you have done everything that you could to love them the best way that you knew how to love them. And, and you're not perfect, but it, they are so far off the rails right now where you don't know where to go next and you're at a dead end. You don't even know what to do. 
Some of you are, are maybe at a, a dead end in terms of your finances and you don't know what the next move is and you've tried everything you could and you've got maxed out credit cards and maybe you stole a credit card and there's, it, you're at a dead end. Some of you are at a dead end religiously where you, you're in that cycle of I've tried, I've prayed, I've asked, I, and then here I am in, and I'm going back to it, and the addiction is stronger than ever, and the feelings are stronger than ever, and, and I, I, like, I don't know how to get out of this, and, and you feel like you're at a dead end. And in verse 34, I love the realness of this. Mary's like, well, praise God, glory to God in the highest, earth and heaven proclaim his name, that's not what Mary says, verse 34. You're going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. I know that you and Joseph, you know, but it's going to happen anyway. And Mary's like, how? She, she listens to the whole pronouncement of the angel, and her first question is, okay, yeah, 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 I hear you. How is that going to happen? Like, how, how is that going to take place? How is that going to go down? Like, oh, I want to believe you. Uh, like, I'm leaning in. I, I'm, I'm trying to trust. I'm trying to hear you. How's that going to happen again? How's that going to take place? God, how, how are you going to do that? How, how are you going to lead me out of this dead end? And Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, and the angel answered, and this is huge, the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you. Meaning, Mary, what is in you is from me. And the power of the Most High is gonna overshadow you. Now, right now, like you, you may be carrying something and, and the parallel breaks down a little bit because God didn't necessarily create it. God didn't do that. God didn't cause them to do that, but but you may be walking through something right now and, and God is looking at you and looking at your circumstance and he's going, hey, hey, I, I, know, I know there's a lot of questions. I know you're wondering how and when and, and I know you want some timelines and I, I just want you to know that this is from me. Hey, what you're walking through right now, I'm not saying I created it, but this is, this is from me. And the very thing that is dysfunction and the very thing that is disappointment may be the very thing that God wants to leverage for your destiny, for his will, for his calling in your life, because it is not generally packaged neatly in the timeline that you want with all of the details that you want. It comes through pain and struggle, and I wouldn't choose it. And in many cases, the very thing that God is using to lead us into his will and destiny is the very thing we're looking at going, God, where in the world are you and why? And God's going, I am right here. And in fact, the very thing that you are running from, that is from me. And I am doing something and it's wrapped as something ordinary, but destiny is often wrapped in something ordinary and often the ghosts of your past are gifts. And I'm not saying that you would want it. I'm not saying you should pray for it, but I'm just saying in this moment where you're asking all of the questions of where God's at and what God's doing, God's doing in this circumstance, this is me and I am with you. And this may be the catalyst for my destiny for your life. I 
I thought that preached better than one amen, but I'm just going to keep going. So the Holy One, first, no, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, stop, stop, stop. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, which is surprising, and it's either blasphemous. There's no middle ground with Jesus. He's either a nut job or he's the Savior of the world because he didn't, he didn't claim middle ground. That's either, either blasphemous or it's true, but 2,000 years later, we're still reading about it. And he's gonna be called the son of God in verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to, I love the certainty. She's gonna have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren in her sixth month, in the verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. But in this moment, everything that is possible looks nothing but a dead end. Israel's at a dead end, 400 years, and they've heard nothing from God. 500 years since they were an independent nation, they've heard nothing from God. But here's the thing that was so hard for Israel. It's not that things were silent. The Persians were raised up, overthrew The Babylonian captivity came in and ravaged the nation. Alexander the Great and the Greeks took over and did their thing. Now they're standing in this place of Roman occupation. And so they haven't heard from God, but things have not been silent. And now you get an angel to show up to go, you're gonna have a kingdom that's never gonna end. Where? I don't think Rome's gonna be okay with that. And Mary's at a dead end wondering how in the world I'm going to explain this and, and kind of wondering how, how is this going to happen. And, and Joseph is at a dead end. And the angel leaves and, and Mary's left there. And, you know, you know the story. And she's, she's pregnant and life kind of gets back to normal. I mean, as much as life can get back to normal except she's got this thing that she can't explain adequately to anyone. And now she has this this dysfunction, at least in the eyes of those around her and and in terms of her ability to, to try to explain it and live normally, she has this dysfunction that she didn't choose. And Joseph eventually, you know, he gets the decree that there has to be a census and she takes Mary and and they head back to Bethlehem, the story that you're so familiar with. And, and I just, like, just to bring this out of the text, so here's Miss Highly Favored of God. Miss God knows your name. Miss, your son is gonna have a kingdom that's gonna last forever. Get on the donkey and go back to Bethlehem. Nine months pregnant. And Joseph, because he's a guy who's not gonna make reservations and he should have known it's Christmas weekend, but the Marriott's gonna be booked. And he goes back and Mary has the baby and then she gets word that Herod is in this jealous rage because he's heard about this king that may usurp his authority. And we don't focus on this next chapter ever in the Christmas story because it kind of overpowers the romance of it all. But early one morning, Herod's soldiers are decreed to go into the city and to slaughter every child 
two years old and younger as part of this basically mass genocide. And every single parent had their babies ripped out of their hands and slaughtered in a random act of angry jealousy. And I know it's not romantic, but you talk about ghosts? Mary lived the rest of her life knowing that her little boy had been spared, but hundreds of parents and families that she personally knew had their little kid slaughtered for no apparent reason. How? Like, what, what is the purpose? And what are you doing? And how are you ever going to lead me around this, this dead end? And with the haunting reminder of that, she tries to raise Jesus as normally as she possibly could. And you know the story. At 33 years old, she has a front row seat to listen to him getting beat within an inch of his life. And she smelt what that smelled like. And she heard what it was like to hear her grown son cry in agony. And she felt the emotion of being in a courtyard and watching all of it happen. And she was there to physically see with her eyes, her son, stop airbrushing it, have a mock crown of thorns seven inches deep stuck into his skull. And then she watched and smelled and heard him led up to be crucified under the perfected art of Roman crucifixion and the most humiliating death imaginable and the thing that is most unimaginable for the parent of a child to endure. And yeah, it all worked out, but she watched it and she experienced it and she felt it. And Miss Highly Favored of God, Miss, God knows your name, Miss, your son's kingdom is gonna go on forever. And in the moment, she's just watching her son become another victim of a random act of Roman violence with no end in sight. And there had to have been some doubt. God, have you lost control? Are you still involved? Do you know what's happening? Are you aware? Are you, are you, are you leaning in to really be present in my circumstance? And I just wanna tell you, if you're at the place today, and specifically if you are carrying some some dysfunction that was handed off to you. you. You didn't create it. In fact, you've done everything you could to keep yourself away from it or to rectify it or to heal it, yet you are standing with the dysfunction. You're holding the disappointment and you don't really know if there is any way beyond the dead end because you didn't create the dead end and there is something that in you that goes, God, what are you doing? God, where are you at? God, how are you working this together? And I just want you to know that is the 
the mark of what happened at Christmas in you. It is the Imago Dei, the image of God in you, in the illness, in the dysfunction, in the relationship that's deteriorating to go, God, you are not a God of chaos. And there is something in me that has to ask the question, what are you doing and where are you at? Because eternity has been placed in your heart. And when you look at that and go, it's not the way it should be, your heavenly father looks at you and agrees to go, it is not the way it should be. I am not a God of chaos. Sin has interrupted this whole thing. One day I'm going to put it back together. And the thing in you that cries out for something more is the very thing that you were created for. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what I wanted. And one day this is not going to be what it is. And I'm going to make all things new. And you can come and you can question and you can ask why, because it reveals the very image of God in you and the fact that you were created for something more than you are experiencing right now. <laughs> 25 years later, Paul would look back and in brilliance, he would write about everything that went down and everything that he experienced. And he says this to a little church in Ephesus, in him, Jesus, we were chosen We've been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. Can we just say that? Works out what? Okay, bring it 9 a.m. Works out what? Everything. In conformity, and this is, this is what we long for. This is what we want to know. This is what we want to understand when ghosts start haunting us, when dysfunction rises to the surface, when we are so face-to-face with disappointment everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And then Mary said it in simpler terms. And this is before she knew about a donkey ride. And this is before she knew about Herod. And this is before she knew about a mass genocide. And this is before she knew that her son was gonna be taken and he was gonna be beaten and he was gonna be crucified, and this is before she knew he was gonna walk out of a grave alive, and this is before she knew that 2,000 years later we would be heralding his name all over the globe in every language. This is before she knew that even right now in this moment, a third of the world bows their knee to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God, just as was predicted 2,000 years ago. She had no idea about any of that. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you said. I don't understand. I have doubts because I'm still wondering how. But I have just enough faith to trust you anyway. Can you imagine Joseph, man? Can we just talk about Joseph for one second and I'm going to move on? He's not the main theme of my text, but he finds out Mary is pregnant. And I think it's going to take more than an angel to convince me that that story is true. You know what I'm talking about? Angel shows up. No, no, no. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, Really? Because I've had dreams before and sometimes I don't know. But are you sure? Are you you sure? I mean, is there going to, at the... 
at the gender reveal party? Could there be a divinity reveal party? Could you give me something tangible that I can, I can know on this thing? Like I, I can know for sure if this is going to happen. And somehow Joseph, after the angel shows up, I, like he's got to be still wondering. But he doesn't ask for proof. And um, he, he, he doesn't talk a lot about how he feels. Somehow Joseph decides that, that right now I'm just, I'm just going to trust you, even without the proof. And here's where I want to land for a second, and then I'll start to wind this down. I want to preach this as clearly as I can. Some of you right now, you need this because you, you want to stop and you want to bail because you can't see it. And you don't know what God's doing. And you don't know the answer to the how. And God is looking at your circumstance. And God is looking at this dynamic and this tension. And he's going, it's, it's me. And why don't, why don't you give me the benefit of the doubt with what you're carrying right now, what you're haunted by? Here's the definition real quick of benefit of the doubt. It is a favorable judgment in the absence of full circumstantial evidence. That's the benefit of the doubt. It is favorable judgment in the absence of circumstantial evidence. Now, here, here's with me. I'm not saying this is for you. If you're online or you're listening via radio, I'm telling you this is where I've come to, is that when everything doesn't add up, God, I don't know what you're doing. God, I really do want to know the answer to the question how. But when nothing seems to add up, the variable is God. Meaning when I, I'm at a place where I'm not really sure and nothing is adding up and I don't have evidence in this immediate circumstance that you're good. If I just looked at this circumstance and drew conclusions, it doesn't seem like you're good. If I just looked at this to know if you are with me, it wouldn't really seem like you're with me. If I looked at the fact that he walked out or she walked out or she's struggling for her life or whatever the scenario is, I'm not really sure that you are for me. And I don't look to the immediate circumstantial evidence to get validation that that's true. It is the benefit of the doubt, meaning to come to the place where in any circumstance, and in any dynamic, in any tension to believe that God is good and God is for me and God is with me, it doesn't come by circumstantial evidence. It comes by revelation. And in my life, at some point along the way through the scriptures and through coming to the place to believe that what God did in history is true, I was awakened to the reality that God is good and God is with me. And God is for me. And that did not happen because I watched my brother pass away at 27. It doesn't happen because I watched people battle disease. It doesn't happen because I'm praying and pleading over people this week who are fighting for their life or people who are in the midst of a dynamic that I can't even comprehend. I'm not looking at that circumstantial evidence to tell me if God is good, God is with me, and God is for me. It is only by revelation with what Christ has done in history. So now I will give him the benefit of the doubt to go when it doesn't add up and none of these circumstances seem like this is true. It's true because you have already revealed that it is true. That is the verdict. You are good. 
and you are for me, and you are with me. Listen, listen, let me explain this real quick, and, and all my friends who are on the kind of that place of being skeptical and um, you're not sure, I, I say this all the time, and, and so let me try to unpack this real quick and then, and then tie it together, but, but Christianity is not faith in faith. I talk about this all the time. It's one of the greatest disservices the church has done, and it's why so few churches, and I say this with as much humility as I can muster, are, are reaching so few genuine skeptics and cynics all over the place because we have no idea what questions they're actually asking. And we have created a faith that is nothing more than magic and faith in faith that is completely contrary to the scriptures. On Easter weekend, Jesus did die on a cross in history, but then he walked out of a grave alive. And he left, I believe, overwhelming and indisputable evidence that he walked out of a grave alive. If you are skeptical, start there. Don't start with the dinosaurs or Genesis. Did Jesus rise from the grave? And I believe over and over in the scriptures when it says, you can know, you can know, you can know, Paul, you can know. He's not talking about you know because you just muster up enough faith and I'm just gonna believe and I'm gonna have faith that faith is true and that faith is gonna lead me. No, he's saying you can know because God did something in history. It is faith and an event anchored in history that Jesus walked out of a grave alive and that event leads you to faith in the person of Jesus that if he really did die and then bring himself back to life, you can trust everything that he said about his life and his death. There really is freedom for sin. You really can conquer death. There really is more than this life. Sin and death and hell really have been conquered and defeated by him. And it happened because he did something in history so that we could know it's true. And so our faith is not anchored to some ethereal faith. It is anchored to God actually did something. Somebody documented eyewitnesses saw it so that we could know in history that everything that he said is true. He walked out of a grave alive. And that's the initiation of faith. That's where faith starts. But here's the thing. The moment you trust Jesus as your savior based on the evidence of history that validates that Jesus is who he says he is, at that moment, it begins a walk of faith. Listen to me for a second. And from that point on to walk by faith, it is the verdict first and the evidence second. Now, I didn't hold up in a court of law. But that holds up in regard to our walk of faith because the verdict has already been determined. And so when I get in a circumstance and I'm not sure, and God, I know you're good, but I don't see that you're good. I know you're for me, but it doesn't feel like you're for me. I know you see, but it doesn't feel like you see me. I am going to look for the evidence to support what I already know, the verdict that has already been laid down. Here's what I mean. I'm not looking at my bank account to understand whether God's a provider or not. I'm not looking at my mom's illness to know whether he's a healer or not. I'm not looking at the relationship breakup to know whether he is good and with me or not. He has already decreed that. I am Jehovah Jireh. 
I am Emmanuel, God with you. I am the beginning and the end, Alpha, Omega, first and last, meaning I'm gonna finish it and I'm gonna start it. I am the ruling and reigning king. I went to a cross and let all of history know so it would reverberate through the ages, I am for you. The verdict has already been laid down. So in that circumstance, I'm gonna look for evidence to support the verdict. You are good. You are with me. You are for me. It is already been anchored in history. I don't need to feel it. I don't need to see it, but I am going to rest on what is true and I'm going to believe it even when I doubt. And see what I, what I just said right there? That, that tension and, and dynamic, that's what we've tried to wrestle away that has done such a disservice for so many followers of Jesus. I said, I'm gonna believe when I doubt. Even though I know the verdict has already been handed down, there's doubt sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Or are you just gonna pretend 9 a.m.? You know what I'm talking about? See, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means to overcome doubt but they're not mutually exclusive. Mary, uh, how? Joseph, I gotta put her away quietly. I, I don't know what you're doing in this, but it wasn't the absence of doubt. He, he didn't let doubt stop him. She didn't let doubt stop her. And one of the things I'm afraid of is there's a lot of people at a dead end stopping just short of the destiny that God has for their lives because they won't walk through the doubt to get to the other side of the promise. And you have this idea that because you doubt, there's a lack of faith. And I'm just telling you, doubt and faith are not mutually exclusive and doubt is coming. And in fact, one of the signs of mature faith isn't the absence of doubt, but the ability to trust in the dark anyway. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of dysfunction, I don't know what you're doing. There is doubt, there is uncertainty, but I am going to trust you anyway, and I'm gonna believe that this is not the end. And in the deepest, darkest valley, I am going to lean into the verdict that you are for me and with me, and that you see, and that you are working things together for my good. And I doubt, and I wrestle, and I have questions, and I don't know what you're doing, but that is not the absence of faith. And my faith is the means and the power to overcome that doubt, to receive the promise that you are are going to work something in my life for my good and for your glory. Faith is the means to overcome doubt. Listen, sometimes your, your doubt is evidence of your growing faith. The areas in my life, every single time, hasn't been a single season where my faith has not grown as a result of some kind of doubt. It's in incredibly dark moments where I'm wrestling and I'm crying and I'm struggling and I'm hanging on to the verdict, but I'm asking lots of questions. And it's in that dark 
moment, that dark night of the soul in that valley where I am willing to hang on to what I know, even when I don't feel it, that God does something and moves me out on the other side with a greater faith that I would not have had otherwise. And listen, this isn't real popular in an Instagram instant generation, but faith develops in the dark room. Faith grows in the dark room. Faith flourishes in the dark room with the doubt, where you have just enough based on the verdict to move you to the other side. And I think just there's a lot of people who are waiting for the doubt caused by dysfunction to disappear before they take a step of faith. And I'm just telling you, if that were the if that were the posture of Mary, she would have never been the mother of the savior of the world. And so, hey, Mary, the angel shows up. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's the verdict. And you're gonna spend the next couple of years not being sure about that and having every circumstance around you seem in opposition to that, but I just want you to take that verdict with you. I am with you. So listen, peace with your past does not require the absence of doubt. Peace with your past requires faith that moves you beyond the doubt when God isn't moving. And there is a benefit and there is a wrestling with God There is a mystery to this walk of faith that I'm telling you, as you begin to embrace it, God is gonna lead you to the other side. And I love what Hebrews 4.15 says, just these four words, we have an advocate. I love that. Is Paul communicating the gospel and what Jesus had done and basically going, hey, have you ever had your heart ripped out by death? Jesus is going, me too. Have you ever been betrayed by someone and had dysfunction handed to you that you had nothing to do with? Me too. Judas saw the whole thing. He was with me the whole way. And he turned his back anyway. You, you dealing with some dysfunctional family? Jesus is like, me too. And you have an advocate and he enters into your pain and he doesn't tell you to get over it. He invites you to wrestle. And you have a choice of whether you're gonna believe that every single dead end is a doorway or not, but you get to decide if you're gonna walk through it. And I just wanna tell you on the authority of the scriptures and what Jesus did throughout history and what I've even experienced in my own life that every single dead end is a doorway that God wants to do something through. And there's a lot of you today. And I say this with confidence. There is a lot of you today. There is a lot of you today. And you are standing at the doorway of doubt. And you have believed the lie that your doubt is mutually exclusive to your faith and you're just stuck here. And you're waiting for all the answers to the questions and you're waiting for everything to just be made known to you. And at that doorway of doubt, you've been handed some dysfunction and some disappointment. And I'm telling you, if you would be willing to walk through it, God is going to reveal himself in a way that I think is probably beyond what you can even imagine.
But if you stay at this doorway hung up for the rest of your life on how, when, why, you're gonna miss the promise that God has on the other side of that. So what is it gonna be? Is your dead end gonna be a new beginning? And is, is the doorway gonna be something that you walk through with the doubt to wrestle in the dark room so that God can develop what he wants to develop? Are you gonna stop short right here and miss the destiny and calling that God has for your life? You have the choice. And so here's what I want my invitation to be. And I want you to stand with me all over the house if you would. The famous song is, Oh, come all ye faithful. I tell you what the invitation of my life has been over and over and over again. Oh, come all ye doubtful. Got doubts, you got uncertainty, you've got questions, you're not sure. Oh, come all ye doubtful. And it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. The doorway is Jesus. And for some of you today, it means beginning a relationship with Jesus anchored in what he did in history. And I'm not asking you to believe in a baby in a manger. I'm not asking you to believe in cuddly Jesus. I'm asking you to look at history and believe that Jesus really did come indisputable. And he lived a perfect life that you couldn't live and he died the death that all of us should have died via Roman crucifixion. And three days later, he walked out of a grave alive. And because of that, he says, you can know. When I walked out of the grave alive, it validated everything I said about my death. And that is, if you place your faith and trust in me, Jesus, it is the only way. I know that's offensive and that's narrow, but if you walk out of a grave alive, you can make that kind of statement and you have that kind of authority. It is through me. And when you place your faith and trust in the fact that you can't earn your way to me, but trust that I have done everything for you. The scripture says, if you make that declaration of trust just in your heart and your mind, the scripture says he will take your sin and he will give you new life and you become a son and a daughter of God. And there's nothing, not height, not depth, not principalities, not power, not sickness, there is nothing that can separate you from that love again. And so today it starts there with Jesus, but for others of you, it, it continues with Jesus. Because right now you're at a place where you desire peace for your past and, and you're carrying something that's caused a lot of questions and you've been uncomfortable with the tension of doubt and faith. And today you need to get comfortable with it again. And so here's what I wanna do with no heads bowed and no eyes closed. If you would say, man, there's a, there's a ghost from my past that maybe was a dysfunction that I was handed. I didn't create it. I wasn't expecting it. And at times it has me doubting. Can we just be an authentic church? Can we just do that? Would you just lift up your hand to say that I'm one of those people today. And I, I have a ghost from my past that I didn't create. I have some disappointment that I didn't create and I wasn't expecting. And at times it has me doubting and, and my, my hand is up. Can we just be real for a second? If that's you to lift your hand up, you can lift your hand up with me. We can, we can be in this together.
let me just pray for us right now. Just keep your hand up. Jesus, even this hand in the air is a declaration we want to receive right now what you want to give us. And so this is a physical declaration that our hands are open. We are reaching out to you and we are receiving it. And so Lord, like me, there's, there's a lot of us. We need and we want your peace. And the Prince of Peace is here. And so God, this is our declaration right now in this moment. Give me the faith to move beyond the doubts even if I don't see you moving. And right now where you're at with hands lifted high and you're your own words or word for word. I just want you to pray that prayer as a declaration of faith to your Savior in the midst of and alongside of the doubt that God right now is using in your life. God, give me the faith to move beyond my doubt even if I don't see you moving. And right now I give you the benefit of the doubt not based on my circumstantial evidence, but based on the verdict that has already been decreed. You are alive. You conquered and defeated death. You are offering salvation and life, and you did something in history that is gonna echo throughout humanity until we are taken home or you come back, and that is I am for you, and I am with you. And I'm good. And I pray right now for some of us who need, we need freedom and we need the chains of this view of, of doubt in the dark night of the soul who has served us so poorly. We need it to fall away right now. We are not afraid of the doubt and we are not afraid of the darkness and we are not afraid of this season and this valley and this dark room that is gonna develop our faith and we are walking through the doorway of doubt to receive the destiny and the promise that you have for our lives. And we declare it one more time that you are good and that you are for us and that you are with us. And we pray this in the incredible and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.